0: Hi everyone, it's Charlie Webster here. Thanks so much for joining us for a new episode of My Sport in Mind. This podcast is all about opening up the conversation around mental health and sport and life. Season two is proudly supported by sportinglife.com, providing sporting opinion, debate, and analysis for over 160 years. Today we are heading to France. Well, wish we were kind of were heading to france properly but i'm super excited to welcome the leon and england forward nikita paris to the podcast nikita welcome along so how is everything going for you because i know how much um, you've spoken a lot about how much your home means to you but what about now living in france
1: yeah it's pretty different the first six months was so hard to adjust new language new culture and I feel like living in France is a very different way than live, living in Liverpool, LA. So it has a different vibe. So for me to get used to it took a long time, literally six to eight months. I remember calling my mom in the first six weeks and being like, I actually don't think I can stay here. Like, I need to come home. And she was like, no, you'll see out. Don't worry, you'll settle. And I did settle, but it did take me longer than mm. I thought.
0: What do you think helped you during that time?
1: I think what helped me was knowing that each and every day, I was living without it uh, as my comfort zone and that made me really realise like how much I really wanted it. Like I really wanted to come to fans in order to improve as a player, to win trophies and ultimately win the Champions League. That was my dream. And I feel like each and every day that became stronger because I ultimately spent so much time in the training ground, on the training pitch, as much as possible to you know get used to being in France but also to constantly be around people that you know made me feel comfortable and at first it was my teammates uh, the staff so I spent so much time with them at mm. first he must have thought doesn't make have a home <laughs> <laughs> but that was just when to help me to you know, settle down and then as time went on I got to know my neighbors which was really nice that helped me settle a lot so my neighbors had got like two kids and he was running up that up and down the corridor one day and I was like who's that look that was and the kids were running up and down playing Aww. with the football actually and I was like oh this is nice this is yeah. this is different because I live in an apartment so it was very different
0: so it sounds like a bit of a community feel. Then as yeah, well. it definitely
1: was. Yeah. I mean, they knock on my door sometimes and give me some food, and I'm pretty happy with that. Like, <laughs> yeah. no like, problem. So you can come and look after
0: this poor English girl that's come
1: over. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Come and give me it's some like, food. Yeah. <laughs> I mean,
0: and what really about like the them. fact that it's not just France? It's that you moved to such a big club. I mean, they're the five time defending European champions. Was there also a little bit of pressure with that?
1: Yeah, for sure. There's pressure. There's always pressure in every everything that you do, every training session, every gym session, because ultimately you're playing among the best players. And in order to not even just be in the starting 11, but to be in a match day squad, which is of 18, you have to perform each and every session because, you know, there's 20, 22 to 25 players that can play at any minute. Mm.
0: What do you think you've learned most about yourself? I remember watching interviews with you a long time back, and there was one from, I think, 2013. And just speaking to you now, you're very different a lot more confident um what do you think you've learned the most not just yeah since moving to france but also through that period of your career growth
1: i think maturity ultimately everyone will probably say it, but as time goes on you do you adapt to the situation around you you adapt and you're, you're like a sponge you take from every person that you meet along the way and you know you try and bring out the best attribute of yourself and you try and mirror those that you see your attributes align with mm-hmm. and i think over the years I've had unbelievable amounts of great people around me, Father Williams, Rachel Brown, Jill Scott. Here I've got Wendy Renard. I had Lucy Bronze, Alex Greenwood. I've learned so much of all these people along mm. the way. And you know, they've really helped shape my career. And then ultimately I had unbelievable coaches, Mo Marley. I mean, everyone in every interview I talk about, it, and everyone must be like, Wow, no, he's there. But honestly, <laughs> without it. I don't know where that'd be because she helped me, not just as a player, but as a person. Like when I first met Mel, I was 14 years old and I was 14 and very immature, let's put it that way. So over the time, she's helped me. She came like a mother figure and she's really, yeah, her, and her husband, Keith, used to take me to and from training. So we spent a lot of time together on the pitch, mm. off the pitch, you know, during car, car rides and everything. So, yeah, I've learned a lot of wisdom from her over the years.
0: All right, let's go. Let's go to her then, because I was going to mention her anyway, because I think it's so significant <laughs> to mention people that have had an impact on your life. And um, she's obviously was your coach at Everton. And you said yep. you first met her at 14. So what and, and I think it's really important to point out that you said she helped you so much personally as an individual and not just on the pitch. So what mm-hmm. kind of things has she helped you with? Is there any wisdom that you can pass on to us?
1: I think ultimately it's like in terms of immaturity she helps you see how you can grow and when you're working within the football world you kind of get stuck within a certain age bracket you like no matter if you're 31 or 26 or 18 you always feel like you're in and around 2021 because you know there's so many different age groups and you're trying to mend them all together and you end up yeah, yeah, <laughs> so immature at times, and yeah, that was definitely me. Um, throughout the early stages in the career, and I think what she didn't do was always she didn't shout at me or you know make me feel uncomfortable. What she did do is help me learn and grow and understand, like no, that wasn't right, or you can do it better this way. And I think I think that helped grow over time because we became so close in the fact that she helped me to obviously to and from training so we had a lot of time together and I think it was the fact that she cared she cared so much she could see I was a great talent and she could see I could go far in the game but she also seen the type of person I was and I, I really appreciate her for that and um, Mo is a streetwise person herself you know coming from Liverpool talk stuff you know mm. it's not the most influential area of Liverpool you know it's not it's it's got a lot of growth to give, um, but there's many different personalities within Liverpool elite, and we're from in and around the same area, so we both know what what it's like to grow up in that type of area. And she definitely helped me grow and look beyond my area, look beyond my circumstances, and see how much I can have an impact in the world.
0: Yeah, I want to talk a bit about about that, but just um, and it's really interesting point you made. One um, of the things that I learned of a psychologist was you can't change if you don't understand your own behavior and it's almost like that's what Mary was doing with you instead of shouting at you and putting you down it was like you know understand how what it is and how you can grow and how that can actually be really limiting sometimes with your own behavior um in terms of immaturity what do you mean sorry I'm well, gonna ask you that because like, no, okay. I not like what yeah. kind of what were you like and yeah
1: I was just I think I was just People will say, uh, many many people describe it as a person with ADHD. It's got so much energy. But I just feel like I just had so much energy, like, all of the time. I never slowed down unless I was sleeping. I mean, we always said, like, honestly, Nikita, you was like a buzzing bee. You was up, down, <laughs> here, there, everywhere. And uh, when I was younger, people may describe it as being, like, tomboyish. But I, I like to get into m- m- mischief, let's say that. I wasn't. I was always up to up to something um and I was like when I was in school I was the class clown and Mo was like yeah I spoke to your school teachers I'd be like you spoke to me school teachers how do, how do you how do you know them and she's like yeah nikita you know um football is about discipline and you know you've got to have it on and off the pitch and definitely as I was younger when I was younger a deaf that was something I needed to learn and needed to grasp and for sure over time I've definitely become more disciplined in my role disciplined in in the fact that I know like I'm an inspiration to many people and people look up to me so you've got to make sure you put your best foot forward each time and for sure you make mistakes it's it's normal human being behavior but you try and limit them mistakes as you as you become more mature.
0: Do you think that when you played the clown it was a bit of a defense mechanism?
1: I just like to make people laugh. You know? <laughs> just got a big smile just, on your face then when yeah. I see that. <laughs> I think for me, I'm just very, yeah, I'm always trying to crack a joke. I'm very banterous, very outgoing person. So, and most of the time, sometimes you need to learn when and when's the right appropriate time to do that and when's not. And I didn't have that barrier when I was younger. And at times I still don't have it now. Like, there's times when I'm like laughing and joking with people and it's probably a serious moment. So, for me, yeah, there's still growth to go, but I've definitely come a long way.
0: It's funny because um, before we started, I know somebody who knows you, don't I? And who works with you uh, when you were about 16 and he was like, oh yeah, say hello to Nikita. She's the right little cheeky, cheeky yeah. gals or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. g- going back to where you're from, um, how much of an influence has that had on you? Um, because I'm from a... a a depra- what would we call it a, dep- a deprived area yeah. um in Yorkshire and what was it that gave you the belief that you could go and be where you are now because I don't think it's just about deprivation in terms of like economics and finance I feel it's very much on the limiting beliefs about yeah. where you feel you belong
1: I think the deprivation comes from the lack of opportunity yes obviously financially economically um i'd say liverpool is liverpool l is one of the last areas that would receive any government funding if it was available so you know you had to make the most of your opportunities and i think that came from the people who was around me first for my parents family members they always seen that i was good at sports and they always pushed me to you know go into after school clubs or join the harriers which was a um, athletics club at the time or join a football team which was kingsley united so i had My parents, my family members, and then most of all, my community leaders like me club leader, me football coaches that were in grassroots and then became obviously Mo and them who were the elite at the elite stage. So yeah. I've had many different people really, you know, have a big impact on my career. And without them, I would never have made it to where I am today because ultimately I need a guidance. I need, a, yeah. you know, someone to show me the path and really keep me on track. And, you know, your, your parents and them, they can do that when you're in the house. But I spent most of my time out of the house, on the street, in the youth club, you know, in the sports centre. So... I was so lucky in the fact that so many different people took an interest and had an impact on my career and they say it takes a village to raise a person and that's so true. I mean the whole of LA must have raised me and and they don't they always tell me like if I remember when you was doing it and you was like yeah but you helped me become better than that and you know, you, they never forget, but they also have always supported me and shown me so much love to be able to, you know, push on in my career. And still to this day, even though I'm in France, I feel so supported. I get texts each and every week. How are you doing? How's things going? From different people. And I really appreciate it. It's like people don't know the impact of what a text or a phone call or a simple email can do to a person. When, you know, you're so far away from home at times in the pandemic, you can be alone um yeah it's it's mm-hmm. very forth and very impactful
0: it sounds like yeah you had so much people around you that could divert your energy into something that was really positive and um, but i also think it says a lot about you that you had so many people that wanted to do that where's your own your own drive come from
1: i think it's my mom your mom i say yeah watching my mom she, um me mom and dad split up when I, before I was even born and I, sh- I was in a single parent household and my mum did everything we had you know, four kids in the house and honestly like from cooking to cleaning to taking us to after school clubs taking us to school taking me to football sessions you know my mum didn't drive but she was willing to get on a bus for 45 to minutes to an hour to take me to training before Mo, before we met Mo obviously that when I was 14 that was but I've played football since I was seven so throughout that whole time as well as having a few other kids at home supporting them and their interests you know, my own was super woman I'd say, she was unbelievable She
0: sounds incredible and you said that you started um, playing football from a young age and I know you, you've talked a lot about women's football and girls and you said that you're an inspiration, you are a massive inspiration, not just to girls though but to boys too um, did you ever get put off by the fact that back in the day um, it was seen that girls didn't play football and there was that stigma no no
1: I never got a put off because the boys who I played with um in the football leagues or in, in the Sunday League teams or in and around my area they always welcome me I was you know when you was younger and you used to um everyone stand on the wall and eat, and then you had two team captains and the up. I was always <laughs> one of the first picks so I knew that he want, wanted me to play and I was happy I wasn't left on the wall or wasn't left watching or become the referee or just be the goalkeeper Nikita no that wasn't the case for me and I was so grateful for that I mean it helped my confidence but from a young age, I always played with my brothers who were like three, five years yeah. older than me. So I was already accustomed to playing with boys, the physicality. And my neighbour, Marcus, he built a like a pitch inside his garden for us. And at first, I was only five, five six, and I used to watch them play. And then one day, he was like, mickey to go and play? At first, I was nervous, obviously. And, I, and then once I started, you know, once one boy put in a challenge on me and that, I overrided that I was like oh I'm settled here we go
0: because <laughs> I do think sometimes that it's almost when you get older that those barriers get put on you and those attitudes put, get put on you because at that age you're not you know nobody really cares and you just get stuck in and especially from that kind of community I feel do you think sometimes it's almost when yeah it's when you get older that those attitudes come
1: yeah sure when you know, when you're young, you're just you're a free soul. It's it's not it's not competitive. It's it's a friendly environment. I feel like the the remarks or the comments come when the football becomes more you know competitive, more um, rewards based driven, and I feel like that's when people start to get. You know, irate, and the first thing they say is, "Oh, you're not good enough. You're a girl," or th- that's just the easy thing to say. Yeah, you know, they don't, they can't come off with anything more complex because ultimately there's nothing more to say than what the what can be, what they can see, which is you're yeah. a girl, so you're different, or you can't do it because you're a the girl. They limit yeah, but that's only because of how they're feeling. They're feeling limited because you're 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 showing you're better than them. That's what I, how I see it. So ultimately, my dad always told me. Block out the noise around you yeah, and just concentrate face forward. Concentrate on what, what, where, your direction you want to go in, and that's that was always you know to be the best I can be, and regardless of what people said, you always said you know you've got to have thicker skin than that girl, mm. and that's what it was.
0: Is that easy for you to do then to block yeah, things? I
1: think, out? Yeah, yeah, I think it 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 became a part of me and became a part of how my mindset was. I was I'm I feel like I've got tunnel vision. I'm focused on what the one thing I want to achieve in that moment. And, and at times, maybe that's a goal or maybe that's to make a major tournament team or, you know, sometimes that can literally be day to day is like how how I can be the best version of myself in this moment. But for mm. me, yeah, I concentrate on what, what I can control. You can't control what other people say, think, do, but you can definitely control what you do and how other people influence you. I
0: think that's like the phrase of the last couple of years as well especially with COVID is I've heard it so many times it's something I use myself for, is control what you can control because otherwise you just spend half the time worrying about things that aren't in your control anyway but you, there are so many things you can control and it creates this feeling it, it kind of reduces the anxiety and creates a feeling that oh, okay I'm okay of balance I suppose.
1: Yeah for sure You yeah you you start to balance your own life and you know this decisions that you make. There's only one person responsible for the outcome and that's yourself rather than letting allowing others around you to, mm. you know, take control of that or take control of you and how you act, how you speak, how you, you know, move. The best thing to do is take control of yourself and then, you know, there's only one person to blame if you want to call it that and that's yourself.
0: Sporting Life prides itself on being ahead of the rest by providing a rivaled analysis, opinion, debate and statistics for the sports you love. Follow Sporting Life for the best previews, stats and live horse racing and football score services. Visit sportinglife.com or download the free app for Apple and Android devices. Nikita, when you read a lot of stuff about you, there's a lot made of your upbringing and kind of how much much it shaped you. I I think that is very important because it shows that young girls and boys that they can come from any environment and be sat in France,
1: (laughs) where you are. (laughs) Um, But
0: also have achieved. No, no. I'm joking aside though, but have achieved everything that you've achieved. You know, being at World Cups, but. I wanted to ask you because it was in a video and only if you feel comfortable talking about it, um, you also had a significant trauma when you were younger, when you were aged around 10 years old, um, of the death of somebody. But again, only if you feel important, if you feel okay talking about it and how much that shaped you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It shaped, it shaped my, not just my life, my whole family's life mm. a lot. Um, my cousin, Daniel, he, he was killed when I was 10 years old and Honestly, I never knew how much death can impact a family until that moment. I didn't even know death until that moment yeah. because no one as close as he was to me had ever died before. So, he was only 18 and I was 10 and we were as a family were inseparable. We live within a not even a mile less than a mile radius of everyone in my family. So we live literally so close together and You know, we're ultimately, like, the we have the closest bond to each other, whether we're cousins, aunties, uncles. It it didn't matter. Like, our bonds are so tight. So, yeah, that day, wow, it shaped our lives. It shaped Mm -hmm. the rest of our lives. And I remember the first thing I did was go to the Astro, which is, like, which is a football pitch, which was, like, two minutes from my house, and just boot a ball around. So angry, crying. Just that was the only way I could get my frustrations out because – yeah, it was just a traumatic time for, for me, for our whole family. And yeah, I've, I've never, ever, even though it's like 15, 16 years on, I've, I, you, you, I just remember the moment like it was yesterday and I don't want to remember it, but it was so significant that it's hard to forget.
0: Mm. And it's a part of your life, I suppose. And even though you kind of want to forget it at the same time, I can imagine it's something that's being at the centre of, your drive sometimes because of that anger or feeling of injustice
1: yeah for sure and you know you always mo- mostly what you want to feel is that you're making them proud he always knew that I, I would love to play football and he always knew that that would be a passion of mine for the rest of my life and you know I'm so lucky that it became not just a passion but a sport in which I've made a career out of and mm-hmm. you know it's unbelievable for me and you know I'm so grateful that it's happened. And every time I walk on the pitch, you'll see I bless myself. And that's because I'm thinking of him and hoping that he's looking down on me and, you know, helping me through the tough times, the good times, the bad times. He's just there to support me spiritually. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I'm a very spiritual person anyway, but that's definitely who's on my mind during them times.
0: So how much does spiritualism play in your life then? And what do you do?
1: A lot. Uh, Spiritually, I... Um, I'm a Catholic so um, I bless myself every time I go on a pitch every morning every night I, I pray Um I go to church well during the pandemic I do online church which is a bit different because ultimately a church is like a gathering and of a community and it's nice to be around people um, who shared, share the same spiritual you know vibe but ultimately you can't do it during the pandemic so we do it online and it's 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 still connecting and you know it's important to especially in times of the pandemic when you're alone I look forward to every Sunday going, um, going to online church speaking to the people before and after church you know it's nice it's it's and also it helps me stay focused in my path I feel like I think like a lot of people around me must have understood that I needed that direction <laughs> when I was younger because um, my nan from a very young age from like the age of six used to take me to church every Sunday or Saturday evening and I feel like early on I was like I was young I was excited to go to church or go to Bible studies which was a, a separate part of church when you when you're quite young you just you get to learn, you get to understand the Bible and whatever and then as I got older obviously teenage years you want to be out with your friends on a Saturday evening and you don't really want to be going to church but my nan used to say but then I'd have to walk there by myself and at first it was like oh yeah I have to walk with it because can't leave me nan to walk and then so after, at the, when I was in my teenage years it became like okay then I have to go but now it's a choice of mine to go
0: yeah
1: whereas I felt like guilty of and never went with Minana and make her walk by herself and I feel like she just played that because she knew you <laughs> yeah, know probably. if you was Saturday evening with your friends then you might get up to things and then you won't be ready for your football match on the Sunday morning so I Minan was quite clever I think <laughs> but I'll thank her for that later
0: how much has you played a part in your life then not just in terms of taking you to church?
1: massive um, yeah you can tell because your face is like light up when you yeah, talk about her my nan is so important to me um I lived with my nan for a few years as well so from the age of like six to about 10 and then from 12 till about 18 I lived with my nan so she's played a massive part in my life um and I really appreciate me nan, because as times like this, like when she's taking me to church and I didn't really understand the meaning, I just knew that oh, I couldn't leave her to walk by herself. But actually there was a deeper meaning behind mm-hmm. it. as I got older. And when she's like, at the start, my nan didn't really understand football. And she's like, like, she didn't understand the offside. She, I don't understand why two people go to challenge each other and we could hurt each other but nice a physical sport It's she's like oh well why don't you do something like swimming or tennis where and am like because that's just not my sport but as I got older she understood and now she's like oh I went to church last week and the the guys were talking about you asking how's it going in France and you missed seeing you on the TV mm. in England and it became like a big thing for me and uh, people started to talk about me but I mean at first she probably didn't even want me to play the sport <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's a generational
0: thing don't you as well yeah
1: very generous yeah because
0: um, it's like a certain type of sport that I don't know a certain gender plays or
1: exactly yeah and that's yeah. all she's ever known so <laughs> for me I just I took it on the chin I'll be like man you'll understand one day and I guess them days have come
0: yeah and in terms of you said you know your path what do you feel your path is because you you know you talked about that in your connection with your faith
1: yeah, I think ultimately my path is to be the best version of myself, however that may be, however that transpires in sport, outside the sport, you know, making sure that I use each and every opportunity, but also I provide others with that opportunity also. So for me, I was so grateful for the, you know, the people out around me to allow me to be able to, you know, become, put me on a path to become a professional football player. But And I want to provide that opportunity for others. I want to give back um, to my community to allow you know the young girls the young boys to dream of something bigger than just liverpool eight mm. or you know at times when you come from a deprived area you get sort of stuck in a box you you only see what's around you you don't really see the bigger picture um because ultimately you might never have left liverpool you might never have left toxa you might you know so i want to show people that you know there's a bigger picture and you're you you, you might not find your place in the world within toxa or within liverpool but you might find that within within France or within America or within Europe somewhere or the greater, the wider world, you know, you just have to, you know, you, if, at first you have to be given the opportunity to do that and then you have to take that opportunity.
0: Yeah, there's so much that I'm like, yes, yes, because I think it's also that you can belong because I think sometimes you feel that if you're from that area, well, that's not for me, that's for other people and maybe I don't belong, that, belong there. And then you kind of realise that, we're all just the same anyway and what you can you know probably what's made you who you are and that you can sit here and talk like that is because of those things and the community that you're brought up in and all those things that shaped you and it gives you a very different insight and an empathy sometimes being from those areas so how do you deal with them because you seem very balanced very centered um and you've got a smile always on your face. And I saw something that you posted on Instagram. So, you know, put a smile on your face, but how do you deal with things like injuries and low moments? You've won some incredible trophies and, you know, last, I think it was last year in the Champions League, that, in the final that you missed through suspension. So how do you deal with those low moments, the injury, the frustration of those times?
1: I feel like I got, a, I had a wise wise quote from Jill Scott one. She said, never get too high and never get too low. And I feel like that really has helped me center myself because, you know, in the moments when everything's going right for it, yeah, you can start to, you know, get above yourself and go and think like everything is just for you and it's meant to be and all this stuff. But then when the, when the bad times come or the injuries come or, you know, the stumbling blocks come, you get so low that you think, I'll never ever reach that them high points again and that's not true you know you have to go through h- lows and highs in order to understand that sport is never a straight line there's no straight line to success but ultimately once you reach that successful point you understand what it's and that it's taken to get to that point until you've experienced that I think you have to as I say be a sponge soak and absorb what those people around you have experienced and you know, as as I've said, I've had many great people around me to help me, not just on a football pitch, but in life. You know, um, because ultimately, when you step off that pitch, there's a there's a whole other ball game to be played in order to keep yourself focused on the one thing that you want to achieve each day or each year.
0: Do you see that in the moment, though? You know, for example, when you did have that suspension when it was a Champions League final. In that moment, could you could you take all those things on?
1: No you can feel his heart, eh? the first Champions League the final like you've made and you don't play in it because of a moment of ill-discipline. Ultimately, it was ill-discipline. So, And that's what I say. When I say like, I'm constantly on this journey of trying to continue to mature to, you know, that's what I mean. There's times when I, there's always lapses in concentration and it can cost you and it costs me. And that's why I believe, like, ultimately... You always strive for perfection, but for perfection is something that you never can obtain. But you always try to be the perfect person, the perfect footballer, the perfect, the perfect daughter, the perfect granddaughter. But you can't. No one can ever be perfect. But if you try, if you try and strive for perfect, you might get great. You might get excellent, and that might help you. That's how I see it.
0: Joining us now is Jamie Mittelman who hosts one of my favourite new podcasts, Flame Flamebearers Flame celebrates women Olympians and Paralympians striving to compete in this summer's Tokyo Games. Jamie, thanks so much for joining us. I'm so glad we could get you on. You're just joining us at the moment during a conversation with Nikita Paris who plays for Olympic Lyonnais and England. She very much talks about how girls can do this, and the changes that's happened with the women's game throughout her career, and how much actually football's impacted her life. Have you had any similar conversations? And I do find the the chat around the women's game very interesting in in America.
1: It's really interesting listening to this conversation with Nikita. It really reminds me of a chat I had with Becky Sauerbrunn, who's the captain of the U.S. women's soccer team and the president of the U.S. Players Association. In Becky's chat, she talks about the fight for pay equity, so the current lawsuit in the United States, making sure that the women players are getting their dues.
0: I think things really are changing, but maybe a little bit slow. And what I really liked about the Women's World Cup was Seeing both girls and boys wearing, for example, Nikita Paris's shirt on on their backs, which I think was brilliant, and there was no differentiation. But what is fascinating about almost America is that the women's game achieves a lot more than the men, but there still seems to be equity problems.
1: Absolutely, and I'm sorry to say that just the other day the men's team didn't even qualify for the Olympics, so we were sad to see that. But we're confident that the U.S. team is going to be paid in the way that they deserve to moving forward.
0: I look forward to listening to that conversation. Do check out Flame Bearers on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks again for taking the time, Jamie. Thanks
1: for having me, Charlie.
0: You know, um, you said about being a sponge, And you said about those moments of discipline and how you're growing. I wanted to tell you, I don't know if you've seen it, but um, Sir Clive Woodward always talks about that. Um, You know, the former England rugby coach who was the winning, yeah, um, who won England the World Cup. He says that the greatest athletes um, and actually people in general that can achieve isn't when they are the best, but it's actually people who are sponges because they can soak it up and learn. And you said it a couple of times. I wanted to make sure I remember that's something that he he says. Um, I've interviewed many times, but he also gives speeches on. And that's the key thing he always says about, about being a sponge and learning. And I think it's really important that you've mentioned it, because I think it's something maybe for people that are listening to think, oh, yeah, that's a really good point, because I think we get so bogged down in things where you said, like ill discipline, and then we just beat ourselves up. Yeah, You know, do, do, do you do that sometimes where it's just like, you just almost like, I don't know, hit yourself with the stick, which literally,
1: doesn't I, help. Yeah, literally, I feel like I've got like a chip on my shoulder, a chipmunk on my shoulder saying, "He, do, why did you do that? And I'm thinking, because of this, 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 and like, but, but it wasn't right decision. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know that now, but I didn't know that. In the and you're constantly like in a minute talking to yourself thinking, why did you do that? But in the moment, it doesn't even cross your mind. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like it's, it's kind. It it becomes a part of you, and it's hard. Like once something becomes like a habit, it's harder then stop it. It's hard yeah. to stop a habit. But that's why I have to constantly remind myself in every single moment about making sure that I'm I'm trying to mature and become ultimately a better person, a better player, a better person in in everything I do. I do. Otherwise, too. I miss big moments. <laughs> I did in the Champions League. <laughs> I mean, I, I was gonna
0: say I don't do that because I'm not playing in the Champions League. But like, I do too. I have to, like, you know, and I think we all do. I think if we're all honest, we can hold our hands up and say we have, we have to check ourselves. Um, and I think it's important too, yeah. um, so, you know, so that you can learn from those moments, like missing the final 100%. of the Champions League. That yeah, I don't know what that feels like, but I can only imagine how annoyed you were and yeah it
1: wasn't a great moment (laughs)
0: Um, and what about your mentality with england now what are your goals
1: my goals is haven't changed to win a major tournament with england and the next major tournament for me potentially is the olympics and that's gb so that's that's even another conquest but for first of all yeah to win a major tournament And that has to be our goal because we've come so far as a team. And semifinals, we're getting to semifinals each and every time now, but falling at the last hurdle. And trust me, it's hard. It's heartbreaking. You put in so much work for them moments. And, you know, it'd be happening in sports. There can only be one winner, ultimately. But you like to think that your growth and your your experience will come to fruition an important stage which i hope is obviously 2022 in england the euros
0: i feel like you i think we all all fans we feel like you're so close like each time so so close and just bringing you back to what you said jill scott said about not too many ups and too many downs how do you deal with that heartbreak then
1: oh when you get so close it's almost worse yeah exactly you just it's a fine line you feel like you can touch it and then it's just snatched away Mm. and i feel like ultimately you've got to understand that as I say this can only be one winner and if you're not a hundred percent in every single moment of that game, then you allow the opposition opportunity to take take the reins. And at times in obviously in the in the semi finals we've allowed America to take the reins or Holland in twenty seventeen to take the reins and ultimately they've been able to, you know, guard guard that guard that win to then push on. So for us we've got to you know, all the experience that we've taken, the heartache that we've had, you've got to put that into the next one and make sure that, you know, you don't feel the same. Because we've had, so- the- each semi-final we've been in, we've lost the game in different ways, which which is hard to take, but it's easier to take than losing-, losing the semi-final in the same way each time, because that means you're not learning nothing. Yeah, true. So yeah. ultimately, it's hard to take, but you've got to understand that, all these experiences, all these different ways of winning and losing are going to ultimately help you in the long run, and which how, I hope. They will.
0: <laughs> yeah. They definitely will. It's, it's got to be there. It's there. It's there. Um, it, I was just going to ask you about goal setting because um, you've clearly got these big goals. Um, are you somebody that, you know, you said about the Olympics, you focus on that or, and you've obviously got your big goal with a, a major tournament with England as well we talk about the Euros um how do you goal set do you do it kind of small goals to achieve the big goal
1: yeah that's more me I don't I don't automatically just think of the big goal I think I, I I'll jot down the big goal and then work backwards but it's each day for me it's every single day every single day I want to be able to overnight nice reflect and think what have I achieved today and what will what will I need to do to get close to that goal tomorrow and that's how I think, because I feel like if you're constantly just thinking long term, when it comes at you, it might pass you by because you haven't prepared yourself for that big moment.
0: Yeah,
1: It's hard to just, you know, it's like going into a game without a warm up. How do you then get a foothold in the game? You can't because your body, your muscles, your mindset's not right. Yeah. So ultimately for me, it's about each day making sure that I'm perfecting my craft. Um, Whether that's as a person or as a player because ultimately it takes leadership skills of the whole team to drive a team to one goal because a team is full of different personalities different ways of working and yeah different mindsets and you've all got to come to a common consensus to reach the one goal.
0: What do you think is the most important thing in leadership then? And what do you think your skill is in that?
1: I think ultimately for me is understanding what drives another person. I like to as I say I'm outgoing person I like to chat to banter I like to talk to different people get different experiences and um, to understand like not just within football but outside of football who do you who drives you is there you know your mom your dad your grandma your sister whoever it is and then I think to myself like how can I get because ultimately what I've learned in football is You always want to be, obviously, the best individual you can, but football's not an individual game. You need people around you Mm -hmm. who's going to drive you to be the best version of yourself. And I feel like if I can get the best out of my teammates, then they'll get the best out of me. And ultimately, together, we'll be great. Hmm. Nikita
0: you're an absolute breeze to talk to and an inspiration you just make me smile every time I ask you a question um but the final question I want to ask you is what would you say to I mean there's so many things you've talked about but what would you say to anyone who's struggling at the moment or what do you think the best piece of advice you've had for those moments I mean you've already said so much
1: yeah I think for me um during the hard times is never forget there's light at the end of the tunnel Mm. there's so many stumbling blocks that that you will come up against whether it's on the pitch off the pitch but ultimately if you're resilient and you're hard working and you're dedicated to your sport you'll always overcome it always because the one thing I've realized as a as a player is that you know as I say never get too high never get too low and there's always yeah there's always light Mm. at the end of the tunnel for sure
0: what do you think resilience means to you? Because that's something that's talked a lot about and it's talked about with um, in workplaces and also in schools. I mean, young people, but what is what does that actually mean?
1: For me, it's just having the ability to bounce back when times are hard. It's easy to keep doing something when... You know, everything's going right for you. Mm. The hardest thing to do when something go, has gone wrong is to try and recorrect it and get yourself back on track. That is the hardest thing to do, whether it's in football or outside of the football. Mm. But ultimately, for me, resilience is having that ability to bounce back and that ability to you know, step up and be counted for.
0: Step up and be counted for. Thank you so much for sharing, Nikita. It's been, like I said, absolutely brilliant to talk to you. I've absolutely loved it. I could just carry on. And carry on chatting. (laughs) Um, No problem. Yeah, thank you. And I hope you're all enjoying season two so far and enjoyed listening to Nikita there. Make sure to subscribe and check out other episodes as well. Remember to visit sportinglife.com ahead of the rest when it comes to unbiased opinion and sport analysis. And if you're really struggling, charities such as Mind the Samaritans and Sporting Mind are just a phone call or email away. People do understand and want to help. And you can also text SHOUT to 85258- if you don't want to talk on the phone as nikita said it's not necessarily about things won't happen to you but it's about that kind of bounce back ability would you say nikita
1: yes for sure and don't forget yeah there's always people out there to support you whether it's family members or just good samaritans so Mm -hmm. don't be afraid to pick up a phone or email or a text message
0: thank you so much for spending time with us and for sharing with us nikita and thanks so much for listening take care and we'll speak again soon